Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you the most topical energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Svarsson and today I'm joined in Madrid by my colleague Andres Cala, who's editor for Spain, and by Pedro Linares, who's a professor of energy policy at the Comillas University here in Madrid. A warm welcome to you both. Thank you. We are going to be discussing mostly regulation and policy. I wonder, Pedro, if you could give us a bit of the background here in Spain. You recently had an election. There wasn't really a clear outcome. What was going on now? You know, where does it leave energy policy in this country? Well, I think we have been riding like a roller coaster in terms of energy policy in the last, I would say, four years. We had a right-wing governments that had a particular energy policy which was basically focused on keeping energy costs low, as, mm-hmm. as low as possible. That resulted, for example, in a moratorium for renewable energy, fit-in tariffs, and, and, and basically on a revival of, of some of the traditional power plants. Mm-hmm. Then we changed government last year and the focus shifts uh, completely. So now we are absolutely focused on decarbonization. So um, uh, the government came in just in time to prepare the National Energy Plan, which has set very ambitious and uh, objectives in terms of, of decarbonization. And that is accompanied basically by a strong increase in, in renewable energy uh, building. But the problem is that there are no yet policies that kind of materialize all these change in direction mm-hmm. and the second problem is that we're having elections next Sunday okay. uh, so we don't know what is going to happen but probably it seems that we would possibly have a similar type of government like the one we have now but in a minority mm-hmm. so we're not sure about their capability of getting strong policies passed by parliament. I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now. We have a very strong sense of direction already mm-hmm. backed also by the European Commission Hmm. But we don't know yet what will be the actual policies that will be implemented. Okay, but you have the targets and the objectives right. as such, but not the roadmap or how to get there. Right, not the instruments, I yeah. would say. We have hmm. long-term targets, hmm. uh, which uh, to some extent, I would say, are widely shared by industry and by society. So people in general are happy with progressing towards decarbonization. So in general sense, I would say that the targets are widely shared. Hmm. But uh, as usual, the level is in the details and, hmm. and we don't have yet the instruments. And uh, I guess there will be much more discussion about the instruments. Hmm. Just for those who are not so familiar with Spanish policy, what, what are those targets exactly, uh, the, for renewables? And- yeah, so uh, basically the National Energy Plan says that we should uh, reduce our emissions 20% compared to 1990 levels. By 2030? Uh, by 2030. Given the trajectory of Spanish emissions, that is equivalent to a 45% reduction compared to 2005 levels, which were our peak. Mm-hmm. So it's a very drastic reduction. I think we're heading towards uh, 42% renewables, mm-hmm. although there is a trick there because of accounting rules. Mm-hmm. So the actual share of renewable energy electricity is a bit lower. But not lo- around 40%. Is that... Uh, that is higher than the European objectives. For example, the European target is 32%. So is it electricity produced or part of the no. energy consumed? Yeah. yeah, it is final energy. It final is energy. share okay. of final energy. Mm. And, and the European uh, target is 32%. Mm. And we are going for around 40%, mm. which is basically equivalent to all, 
around 80% of the power of the electricity produced with renewables. 80%? Right, including hydro. We, we hydro. do have a significant yeah. amount of hydro. But by 2030, I mean that... By 2030. And is there, in terms of, you know, the political consensus, is this sort of, you say there's a lot of agreement on this, so is, is this kind of shared between the parties of the right and the left, uh, really? I think there's a significant amount of agreements. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last government, for example, the right-wing government, was happy with a report that was issued by a panel of experts that said that we could go for 72%. Mm-hmm. So I would say between 70 and 80%, maybe there's a bit of discussion. And it mm-hmm. all depends, of course, on the cost, on mm-hmm. the evolution of the cost of renewables. But I would say everybody across the political spectrum is happy to go beyond 70%, mm-hmm. maybe not up to 80%. So mm. maybe there's some discussion there, mm. but no less than 70%. So, mm. so I think that's a, a quite wide consensus. And earlier you were saying that, of course, the devil is in the details. And specifically, we you mentioned transport and industry. And right. these are key issues, not right, just in right, Spain, right. of course, but in the EU. There are the possibility of uh, border taxes, of other uh, types of fiscal measures. But at the end, those details mean that even if there is agreement on the the bullet points, so to speak, Mm -hmm. it's not altogether certain that they will actually be uh, uh, aggressive enough to pass the legislation, the real practical legislation mm-hmm. yeah. to reach those targets. And, and uh, one of the interesting parts of the, the parts there that you mentioned is, of course, uh, the, the money. I mean, uh, how do we attract the private investment to do all yeah. this if this yeah. is not going to land yeah. on the states, yeah. on, the, uh, on, on, the, on the different governments? How likely is it yeah. that yeah. even if we agree on the, on the bottom line, yeah. that we actually get this? So, uh, so yeah, uh, I mean, we've been talking about the electricity sector, right? Mm-hmm. And the electricity sector, I was saying that just some minutes ago. I think it's probably the easiest one. And I'm probably oversimplifying. But, mm. uh, I mean, the electricity sector is about investing in renewables. And all political parties think that that provides a certain opportunity. And given that the cost of renewables is going down and down, it's probably not expected to be a large cost for the system. So that's where I see a lot of agreements in uh, increasing significantly the amount of renewables in the system. Now, if you go beyond the electricity sector, this is where the real problem starts. So as you correctly pointed out, if you want to progress, if you want to achieve this 20% reduction of emissions, Mm. you need to do drastic reductions in transport, in buildings and in industry. Probably industry not until a bit later because it's probably more expensive. So for example, if you look until 2030, the big challenge is buildings and transport. And this is where I think there is not that much agreement. I mean, people share that we should decarbonize, but I mm-hmm. think people are not aware of mm-hmm. how costly that might be mm-hmm. uh, if we address buildings. Rehabilitation, refurbishing buildings and energy refurbishing mm-hmm. is quite expensive. Although, of course, it has many side benefits, but it is quite expensive. In terms of transport, until electric vehicles become competitive, which this may happen, I don't know, 2022, 2025, who knows? Mm. Until they become competitive, if you want to push further for them, that is going to be, again, very costly. And also, more importantly, probably, the only way to reduce transport emissions significantly is to reduce mobility, is to reduce demand. And that means changing behaviors. And that means Mm. telling people, maybe you cannot access Madrid, as, as happens in London or in Oslo, 
Mm. Or maybe you have to pay a very big penalty if you want to enter the cities, or uh, maybe you are going to be having to pay a lot more for your car, like happens in, in the Nordic countries, mm. right? And those are the measures where I think are going to be, prove very unpopular, and where not even the um, the left wing parties may be willing to get into that. Because it's uh, it's it's tricky electorally. Isn't right, it? It's probably right. quite a and, big vote loser. Right. And if you follow the electoral campaigns, the one that we're having right mm. now, the one we had in April, mm. uh, everybody was talking about climate change is a big concern. Nobody talked about taxes, about yeah. carbon taxes. Nobody pronounced that word, of course. Mm. Or how uh, to pay for right. decarbonization. Right. And the problem is that I think when you're dealing with transport and buildings, mm. we're actually talking about money that has to be paid by households in order to uh, do that. Is there another way to, you know, like some countries, I mean, you've got a huge explosion of, for example, electric vehicles in, in Norway. Yeah. Uh, and the way of incentivizing that is to, uh, you know, is to, to subsidize, them, to subsidize, subsidize them heavily, but also allow them to enter the cities free of charge. Which is, and which is, also, which yeah. is also a kind of subsidy. Yeah, I mean, of course. Right. Yeah. But is that an option for Spain, for example? Because if you have solar panel on your roof, you have a battery and an EV, I mean, surely that's the perfect uh, perfect idea of, of uh, you know, of a decarbonized <laughs> world. Well, know? I don't know, because, um, I mean, the electric vehicle, I think it's the future, and nobody doubts that. Uh, of course, it depends on, on how it's going to be the evolution of the cost of the batteries. And I'm sure it's going to be competitive very shortly, but mm. until that happens, mm. that is going to be costly. Mm. Solar panels on the roofs, of course, they are getting cheaper and cheaper, mm. and and we have grid parity, but grid parity is not competitiveness. Mm. The real competitiveness is generation mm. uh, parity, mm. and that has not been achieved yet, mm. although we're very close. Mm. And also the point is whether, for example, uh, it makes sense to build solar panels in all roofs, or it makes sense to build them in the middle of uh, Castile, Mm. with a lot of open spaces and, and profit from economies of scale. So what I mean is that I think there are many, many possibilities, mm. many itineraries for achieving this. Mm. And there are two big questions here. Is the, big, the bigger one is how much are we willing to pay for this? Mm. And uh, last week, El Cano Institute, they published a survey, a big survey mm. on opinion polls in Spain. And it seems that a majority of Spanish people are willing to pay something, mm. although not a huge amount, but mm. at least something for that. So I think that the, the, the sweet spot is going to be how do we find the right measures that actually make us advance in this trend towards decarbonization mm. that is acceptable at a societal level in terms of cost mm. or how are we be able to, to somehow finance that cost or provide the right warranties so that investors will come in and do the investments, uh, mm. which in the case of renewables, I think is fine. Mm. In the case of buildings, maybe the trick lies in finance, mm. cheap finance as a way to, to give this incentive, which mm. is, again, a better way instead of just giving subsidies away. I, mm. I think there are some, some instruments that mm. might be acceptable. I think there are some other instruments that are going to be very costly. Yeah. Sitting in Northern Europe and looking at all the massive expansion of, of solar power in you know, in Germany, yeah. even in the Netherlands now that they've mm. opened a big floating solar park. You think you look at Spain and think, why why isn't there more here? You know, yeah. you've yeah. got the sun, you've got you've got the wind as well. Right. Uh, right. And why, why and, is and that? wind has been really strong, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. on the solar front, because you think, you know, the, the so called prosumers who could both produce and consume yeah. their own power, yeah. I mean yeah. that could 
couldn't that revolutionise, in a sense, uh, uh, the country's energy system? I think it might. I think mm. it might. That I think we should compare centralised versus decentralised mm. and, and see whether economies of scale compensate the potential reduction in losses, which mm. is basically the discussion here. You also have this philosophical empowering effect, which is also valuable, and I think it has to be considered also. The problem right now is that the current regulation we have, mm. uh, for example, for setting uh, solar panels and households mm. is is flawed. Mm-hmm. Basically, the tariff is not well designed, so we're cross-subsidizing mm-hmm. through the fixed part of the tariff. Mm. We're cross-subsidizing these installations. Mm. So the problem is, right now, with the, with the current context, I cannot say mm. whether it makes sense to go for one option or the other. I think we should first set the right setting, mm. uh, the fair uh, mm. distribution of costs, mm. and then allow all of them to happen. And mm. if somebody wants to build this solar panel in their home, that's great. And mm. maybe they're making money for everybody. Uh, the, the problem is how do you align the incentives with the social benefits, right? Mm. And, and I think there is a lot of potential. But that said, we have one problem here in Spain. And again, this is a, an interesting discussion if you're considering, for example, decentralized solar energy, which is that in Spain, whenever you talk about giving locational signals in electricity markets, mm. they tell you you're crazy. They tell mm. you that goes against the unity of the markets. Mm. Uh, so uh, the tariff has to be the same one all across Spain. And that's a problem because it makes sense, for example, to build solar panels in Madrid where the uh, network is heavily loaded, right? And it wouldn't make sense to build them in, in the middle of the countryside, right? Mm-hmm. But we are not able to get householders in, in Madrid get those benefits because the tariff is the same for everybody, mm. right? So... I'm not sure whether we will be able to actually see that happening in the absence of the right signals. Again, what you're saying, with the, it's in the details. That's right, why the right, details need to be right, sorted out. Right. And of course, any of these measures, even if they make all of the common sense that they do, even if there's agreement, it requires well, some political courage. The most likely scenario, as, as we've talked about, is that Spain will have a government uh, we don't know what uh, what color it'll be, but it'll be a weak government. It will not be a government in yeah. the majority. Is think, this even possible? Uh, uh, my, my concern is not with the governments. My concern is rather with the opposition. If the opposition thinks that there are high chances that we will have an election again soon, then, of course, they have the incentive to behave more electorally and less responsibly, as to say, less long-term and more short-term. Mm-hmm. So I think the government, and I think the current minister, she has a lot of courage. So I think mm-hmm. she, she has what, it, what, it, what we need to, to do this. But we also need the responsibility from the part of the opposition parties to say, okay, this makes sense, this doesn't make sense, let's vote for what makes sense, let's, don't, uh, let's not vote mm-hmm. for what doesn't make sense. Not with an electoral approach and with a responsibility long-term approach. So I think I'm more concerned about the attitude of the opposition in this setting. Is this going to be taken as an opportunity to break down the governments? Mm. Or is it going to be taken as an opportunity to get into consensus and and try to progress? And Mm. I think that's a big question. Because it could end up being political point scoring, as you say, rather than, you know, very short-term basis. Right, right. These days, for example, I I remember a couple of days reading Martin Wolf's in the Financial Times saying, Mm. I I would like to have a hung parliament Mm. because that ensures that the the policies that come out are going to be consensual, Mm. right? Mm. You might think the same um, in the Spanish setting. You could say uh, a hung parliament may be more interesting in order to produce 
more consensus-based policies mm. that would be more stable, right? But that depends on the on the attitude of the political parties to engage into long-term view rather than into short-term joking around and, and trying mm. to bring on the governments. I mean, if we come back to the element of private investment oh. and one of the ways in which, or some of the, the large investments into Spain that we see is, is in the PPA market. Right. So, so Spain has, has, has quite has seen quite a boom in these. Do you expect that to continue? This is for wind and solar. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of movement right now. In fact, I'm a bit concerned about repeating a bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, because okay. uh, there is a scarcity signal from the point of view of access to the network. And mm-hmm. also, uh, so on the one hand, we have like big expectations drawn by the government about these new auctions. So the conditions will be there for uh, private investment. I'm mm-hmm. sure about it. There will be plenty of demand for new investments, certain stability. But I'm a bit concerned about the scarcity signals driven by the network and also by town councils and all that. Mm. And I'm a bit concerned that all these expectations might drop a bubble up and we might end up with higher prices than we expect. I don't know. And the bubble could burst then. Yeah. 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 Of course, yeah. that's yeah. the problem. That's the problem. They burst. Yeah. Absolutely. But there are some ambitious programs in place at the moment. What are the auctions for, for wind in Spain? Is it six gigawatts a well, year? Uh, yeah. So the national plan says that mm. if we are to achieve these targets, we mm. would need 6,000 gigabits okay. renewables per year. Okay. To the, achieve the targets. Yeah. To achieve the targets. Mm. The draft of our law on climate change, which has not yet been approved, mm. says that there will be a minimum of 3,000 gigabits mm-hmm. uh, options. Mm-hmm. Something between three and six mm. is probably... Uh, because some people expect that probably you don't need to auction the full six gigabits. Maybe mm. a part of it will go through auctions, but maybe another part will go merchant. Mm. Uh, we don't know. But yeah, I mean, there's three gigabits minimum during mm. 10 years. Mm. That, that's a lot of investments. Mm. That's a lot of private money that can come in. And three gigabits a year. That's that's, that's Well, that's, I mean, the maximum capacity we have installed in Spain is four. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so yeah. you're, you're so, you know, you're, and in fact, I remember we we are having having these discussions here in Spain. And, mm. and for example, if you look at uh, there are some numbers out there by Bloomberg mm. who say that the pipeline is able to provide this six gigabits, but only after some use. The pipeline has been dead, so they expect that at the beginning that mm. that could be. And the pipeline seems to be bigger right now for wind than for solar, mm. of course. You never know. Mm. Uh, the point is that some people question whether we might be able to go for three gigabit solar for 2020, 2021. Mm. Probably after 2025, we'll be mm. happy, uh, easy to do that. Spain was, you know, a few years ago, made some controversial changes to some of its laws, sort of retroactive yeah. changes yeah. to the subsidy yeah. schemes. Is there any danger that that could happen again? I don't think so, basically, uh, because in the past, these retroactive changes were due to the realization that the money that was being paid, which was a feed-in tariff, was probably excessive because the feed-in tariff had not been adjusted Mm. to the changes in technology. Now, if you do that through an auction, there is less risk, right? Because there is the competitive pressure. So probably the Mm. price resulting from the auction will be better adjusted. Mm. Uh, And therefore, there will be less grounds for retroactive corrections. Mm. Mm. 
So yeah, I'm I'm less concerned about that. I'm still a bit concerned about this bubble and this scarcity that might drive prices higher than they should. But I'm less concerned if the mechanism is an auction mm. that that there will be this uh, sunk cost mm. that has to be paid. Yeah. Pedro and Andres, thank you both very much for joining the Montel Weekly Podcast. We're back next week in London, and then we'll be talking carbon, mainly carbon matters. Once again, thank you. And please, listeners, keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Goodbye from Madrid. Thank you.